The Lifestylist, episode 22, featuring David Wolf. I'm Luke Story, a former celebrity fashion stylist and founder of School of Style. For the past 20 years, I've been relentlessly dedicated to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of health and spirituality. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, my friends. I've got a message from the cockpit. I'm your captain, (laughs) Mr. Luke Story, and this is The Lifestylist Podcast. Today, we're taking a journey into the unknown on this craft with a gentleman by the name of David Wolf. David, of course, is one of the leading experts in the field of health and wellness, superfoods, and all things chocolate. I've been following David and his work and all his adventures for many years, so it was a real treat for me to be able to sit down and ask him some very personal questions about what it's like to be David Wolf. You know, what does his day-to-day life actually look like? And how did he go from being the seemingly normal American kid eating hot dogs and Captain Crunch to being this kind of worldwide authority on health and wellness. So we talk about how he got his start, of course, and how he's turned his passion into business. So there's a lot of sort of metaphysical, motivational stuff baked into this, in addition to tons of information, of course, just about health and health food in general. So we cover cacao, as you know, he was one of the guys that really put chocolate as a health food, as a superfood on the map. We go pretty deep into the whole process of fermentation and preparation and what makes good chocolate and what makes swag chocolate. We talk about some alternative health treatments like stem cell therapy. And then we, of course, talk about the importance of nature as a tool for healing, peace of mind, and de-stressing. We cover David's hacks for overcoming travel, fatigue, and jet lag. And then we really take a nice look at diet extremism and all the belief systems and dogma that go along with certain diets and lifestyle choices, especially in the realm of health food fanatics like myself, and how those kind of beliefs and rigid systems that we build up can actually have a negative effect on your health. So we spent a little time talking about that, which was really interesting. And then we talk about how David deals with critics and haters and online trolls. The guy's got, you know, 7 million Facebook fans. So he's very much in the public eye, speaks to huge audiences all around the world. He's been doing that for years and years. So he draws a fair amount of criticism because some of his stuff is pretty out there to your average Joe. So he has a very unique perspective on how to deal with that negativity. And then we close the interview just talking about the darkness of these times and the lunacy of the mainstream media and politics and everything that we're seeing going on in the world right now and how to take a detached yet compassionate view toward that and to find the uh, silver lining of all the negativity that we see. So at the same time as everything is kind of going bleak and dark, there's also a huge sort of spiritual awakening going on on the planet. So it really is, as they say, the best of times and the worst of times as we watch the current matrix of falsehood and illusion crumble. I can't wait for you to hear this interview with David Wolf, and I hope that you enjoy it as much as I did. Please share this with a friend, and I can't wait to deliver you another one next week. Okay, I have a really exciting announcement to make. To celebrate the release of my first 22 episodes, I'm having a listener contest. And this is a really sweet contest because it has not one, but two prizes. And all you have to do to enter is go to lukestory.com forward slash winner, 
enter your name and email. That's it. It'll literally take you two seconds. And if you win, you're going to be super stoked. So prize number one is a one-hour lifestyle design session with yours truly. So if you live in LA, we're going to sit down for an hour in person. If you live remotely, we're going to do this over Skype. And you get to choose the goals that you want to work on. So based on the topics discussed on this show, maybe you want to get more energy, you want more focus, you want to lose weight, improve your mood, things like that. So we can do this through talking about meditation, get your food and diet dialed in, your sleep, detoxing your home, optimizing your lighting, your water, whatever you want to geek out on with me, you got me for an hour and I'm going to give you everything I've got. Now, I don't know if I can condense 20 years of this lifestyle into an hour, but I'm going to give you everything I possibly can based on your goals. So that is prize number one. Now, prize number two is a one-month supply of Bulletproof Coffee based on my custom recipe. So you're going to get Bulletproof Coffee, the new amazing Bulletproof Ghee, the Bulletproof Brain Octane Oil, the Bulletproof Collagen Protein, which you put in the coffee. It's amazing. And then also we're going to add the Four Sigmatic Reishi Mushroom Elixir for people that don't want to do the coffee. Some people are sensitive to caffeine. You can make the same drink as Bulletproof Coffee using this amazing herbal medicinal mushroom elixir. Now, me personally, I just like to add all of that together and make the most potent, delicious Bulletproof Coffee ever, every morning. So that's prize number two. Now, the deadline to enter is Monday, September 19th, meaning you have to go to that URL, put in your name and email by Monday, September 19th, and the winner's going to be announced on Wednesday, the 21st. So again, to enter, dude, it is super easy. Go to lukestory.com forward slash winner, and there'll be directions there and a little video for me and a recap of the prize of the prize. So go to lukestory.com forward slash winner, put your name and email, and you could win this sweet contest. So thanks so much for listening, you guys, and sticking with me. I'm really excited to keep this show going. It's going really well so far. We're 22 episodes in, and we're kicking ass. So thanks for joining me. Hey, you guys, I have a crazy exciting announcement to make just in hot off the press. I'm actually cutting this into the episode right now because it just got confirmed that my friend Tony Wright and I are hosting a free event on Thursday, September 23rd to kick off the fourth annual Bulletproof Conference this month in LA. Super pumped for this. Okay, so what's going to happen? You get to come see me record a live podcast as a guest on Tony's show, Zestology. There's also going to be a chance to sample dry farm wines, which are these amazing, you know, organic biodynamic wines that apparently don't give you a hangover from what I understand. Plus, you'll get bulletproof drinks and food at the new state-of-the-art bulletproof coffee shop in downtown LA. Now, one of the main reasons, of course, for coming is to meet lots of other like-minded people, many of whom will be going to the conference, but you can just come hang out whether you're going to the conference or not. So to RSVP, just find my Facebook page, at Mr. Luke Story, and you'll see my post about the event. Now, as I said, it's totally free, but it's intimate, so you've got to RSVP. It's going to fill up within the next few days for sure. It's a small joint, okay? So come down and watch a live podcast recording. Meet me, meet Tony, tons of other amazing like-minded people on Thursday, September 23rd at 7 p.m. at the Bulletproof Coffee Shop in downtown L.A. So again, all you have to do to get in is go to my Facebook page at Mr. Luke Story to find all of the info and the meetup.com RSVP link. I can't wait to meet you guys there. This is going to be a sick event. All right, see you there. Are you a super fan of the Lifestylist podcast or maybe even a first-time listener? Do you want to help support the show? Do you want to show some love? Well, now we've got an easy way for you to do that. You can go to lukestory.com forward slash support 
and you can pledge a small or even a large donation to help fund the show every month. It takes many people, many hours, and many dollars to keep this thing running and keep the quality of guests, the quality of production where we want it to be. So if you'd like to support the show, again, go to lukestory.com forward slash support and offer anything that you can. Every little bit helps. And if your support is just listening to this right now and making it through this episode and sharing it with a friend, that's great too. I'm happy to keep delivering you this content no matter what. David Avocado Wolf has led the environmental charge for organic food, healthy diets, herbal medicine, radiant health, a positive mental attitude, community building, and pure air and water for all. With over 22 years of dedicated experience, he's hosted over 2,750 live health events. David has never been afraid to speak his mind and stand up for causes he believes in, as well as the rights of the forgotten, the marginalized, and those abandoned by society. David is the visionary founder and president of the nonprofit The Fruit Tree Planting Foundation Charity, with a mission to plant 18 billion fruit, nut, and medicinal trees on earth. He's also the spokesperson for the Nutribullet. David champions the ideals of spending time in nature, growing one's own food, and making today the best day ever. He teaches that inspiration is found in love, travel, natural beauty, vibrant health, and peak performance. Thank you for joining me, Mr. David Wolf. It's been a long time coming. Thank you so much. Great to be on the show with you. We're going to have an excellent discussion, and I'm excited. I am too. I was thinking about the last time that I saw you, and it was it was the most random uh, meeting ever. I was with my school of style, the other business that I have outside of this industry, and I'm uh, I'm in I'm in the Standard Hotel in Miami with my business partner, and I'm I'm out on my little veranda there, my little porch in front of my room, and I hear you on the phone. You're on a cell phone, like wheeling and dealing, making some sort of health food industry deals, and you you know you sounded very serious and like making stuff happen. It was a side of you that I hadn't heard, but I knew your voice because I'd seen you speak like I don't know how many times. And I said to my partner, I think David Wolf's like next door to us. And then the sound went away and I got busy and that was it. And then I'm up in the sauna and of course, who's there but you? Where else are you going to be but in the sauna? <laughs> That's wild. Yes, <laughs> yeah, I remember funny. that. That was awesome. I yeah, love was- going to the standard whenever it just flows together. Had some great experiences there and it was great to see you there. And it, we were literally in the rooms next to each other. That was bizarre. Yeah, it was totally weird. And I don't know if you ever realize this, but I, you know, of course, the first thing I do when I land anywhere is I suss out the health food store or where there's spring water around. Obviously, there was no springs to be found in Miami, at least that I'm aware of. You might know different, but uh, I went to the health food store and I grabbed just tons and tons of bottled spring water. They had a couple really um, good brands there. I think it was like Saratoga or something. I went and left uh, one of them on your doorstep because I, I heard you over there and then I forgot to tell you, you, you must've thought like, wow, these maids are really cool here. They deliver spring water. That was it. That was with a very dear friend of mine at that time. And, and we were um, marveling at the spring water showing up on the, on the porch. <laughs> okay, but I cool. figured it must've been someone who recognized me or, you know, saw me somewhere or so totally. you know, I thought it was something like that, but it was actually you. So that was really cool That's- running into you there. And uh, we do share a lot of the same, um, I, I think a lot of the same passions. I mean, I, I have a passion for health. I have a passion for spring water. I have a passion for cold. Um, I have a passion for um, the extreme and, and pushing the limit. So yeah, I think I you're think, similar. 
I think that's why I've always been gravitated toward your work. And like I said, seeing you speak so many times, I mean, I've been following your stuff for a long, long time. So yeah, it's, re- it's really great to get to talk to you anyway. Uh, enough rehashing of the past. I-, I wanted to talk to you, David, about just who you are as a person. I think I might have been inspired because I've been watching this um, Tony Robbins documentary on Netflix. And I really, you know, I know you've mentioned him and, you know, sort of thought leaders and personal development guys like that in the past, even, you know, guys like Brian Tracy and other other sort of gurus in that um, arena that you've um, spoken of. But I was watching that and I knew really nothing about that guy. I thought he was more based on like making money and, and it was just, he does such deep work. It was really fascinating. And I thought, wow, that's so cool to kind of get a view into the other side of someone's life. It's almost like a backstage pass. And so I thought it'd be cool to kind of find out with you like, how did you end up being the guy that you are? You know, did you ever like work at 7-Eleven and just like were a normal teenager or have you always been sort of a thought leader? What was the evolution that brought you to where you are today? Wow, great. I, I think one, it's just genetics. My, you know, my mom is from Tehran and was born in Tehran, came to America when she was 16 years old. My dad is like fifth generation American on his mom's side and third generation American on his dad's side and from New York. And so from a very early age, we used to travel back and forth between Newark Airport. I lived on the Jersey Shore in Brooklyn, New York, and then we traveled to Tehran and like six months, one spot, six months back. And so I grew up very internationally in a culture that's very difficult for most Americans to connect with because, you know, it's vilified in the media. We don't ever get to see pictures of Iran. Um, but definitely genetically, uh, I'm like a, like a Greek orator. You know, I've come from that. Like I, I never knew who I was. I was a complete, like even my mom and dad don't look like me. My brothers don't look like me. And what happened was when I was in seventh grade, I was looking at a picture. We were studying the Greeks with my um, teacher, Mr. Borntrager. And, and, and I was looking at the cover and I was like, there's, I don't know anybody who looks like these people, right? The Greeks, you know, the classic Greek appearance, the, you know, the great sculptures of Pericles and that kind of thing. And when I was looking at images like that, and I, and I said that to my, my teacher and he said, oh, that's you, you look like that. And that's when I realized that that's, that's who I was. I'm, I'm like a reincarnated ancient Greek. I'm an orator. That's the thing I can do better than anything else. I'm an order. You put me in front of a group, I can speak to that group about anything and get them excited and get them motivated and project for hours without ever losing my voice. So, you know, those kind of interesting ethnic background side of me and then also the traveling coupled with, I think, of a natural, I, I, I don't know, I, I really feel like I'm a reincarnated Greek order. Um, Themistocles or, or uh, who, what was his name? Um, there's Pericles for sure, but what was his, the other guy? Anyway, <laughs> um, it's been a while anyway, that's, you know, that's, that's who I am. And so I, I like giving a voice to causes that I think need to need to be heard. And of course in the health field, organic food farming that started for me very early because my mom's brother moved to California from St. Louis. He worked for Ralston Purina corporation of all things. And he was transferred to the head of Food Maker, which is Jack in the Box restaurants in San Diego. And so in the 70s, we went to San Diego to visit him. We planted at least 100 fruit trees in his yard in East San Diego. And, and probably by the time it was all said and done, a couple hundred bushes, trees, and plants that went into his farm. And I started farming when I was seven years old, 1977. And then it just, it, that passion for farming and natural foods and being on the earth and being barefoot 
all arose from those experiences there in California. And then eventually we moved to California and then as, as went through my teenage years in high school and, and college in California and then, then have been traveling ever since. So at what point in your life did this become a career? You know, because a lot of people are experts at things and a lot of people are great at speaking and motivating, but they, you know, they need some sort of infrastructure or people around them in order to create that platform, right? So at, at what point in your life did you, you know, realize, oh, wow, maybe I could actually pay the bills doing this. And, you know, <laughs> when did it become a business for you? And did you have other jobs and things like that that you did along the way? And then people just started to kind of want and wanting to listen to what you had to say. How did, how did that um, next step happen after the passion was identified? I, I definitely um, have never worked at Seven Eleven, but I have worked jobs <laughs> like that, and and grew up at my my aunt's grocery store, Temple Stevens Grocery Store in Columbia, Missouri, and worked there when I was fourteen years old, fifteen years old, sixteen years old, um, and I used to go out there and stay with her, and then work in the store, and so I did every job there, and and strangely and interestingly, I did work there with somebody you know. Mike Adams of Natural News. Him and I worked in the same grocery store in 1986, 1987 together. Wow, that is that's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. That's an interesting uh, karmic loop right there. So we, you know, we have known each other all those years since back. Geez, it's you know, it's been all those years ago. Almost, almost. Geez, is it getting back to 30 years? Almost 30 years. Anyway, the um, the it all came connected for me. When I was 23, and I was just, I was, I went to UC Santa Barbara, amongst other, you know, schools I've gone to in my life. But when I got out of there, I was, I wanted to stay at home for a year in San Diego at my mom's house and just kind of figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And towards the end of that summer, after that entire year of just being in San Diego, hanging out with friends, working, and I was working two jobs actually. Um, one, one, I worked in a bowling alley, and the other job is I worked in a, a cafe. So that was, that was interesting. I, you know, I've, I've done every aspect of the American economy, I think, at this point. Anyway, so I, I was hanging out with my mom, you know, at that house there. And one night I had a vision in August of 1994 of what I was going to do with my life. And, and it was just like connected. I was like, oh, wait, I could, I love nutrition. I love talking about it. And I should do this as a career. Like, this is what I should do. And I should be speaking about this because I came from the personal development success world where, you know, I listened to every Tony Robbins thing. I've known Tony Robbins since the summer of 1984. Um, I went through all the Brian Tracy programs. I went through all the Mark Victor Hansen programs, all the Jack Canfield stuff, the Dennis Waitley stuff, the Les Brown stuff. I went through all that Jim Rohn, all of that stuff. And I, I needed something to speak about because obviously there's that intrinsic public speaker thing. And all of a sudden one day I realized, oh, it's not the success stuff. It's the nutrition. That's what I love. It's my hobby. It was my hobby even back then. And uh, and then that's when it all came together. And within by November, I think it was November of 1994, I gave my first talk in, to 100 people as a small entrepreneurs group in San Diego. And, uh, and that was my first public speech on health. And it, it's gone – you know, from there, I've done thousands. I've done at least 2,750 as far as I can tabulate live events, which by the way, Luke, you'll appreciate this. And I, I do want to mention this. And I, I, there's nobody in the world who has this streak going. I've never missed an event in my entire life. <laughs> That's crazy, man. That's crazy. I've made every single event my entire life. 2,750 events in a row without missing it. Never called in sick. Never missed the plane, never a broken down car, always made it. So I've got one of the longest streaks going in of anything, of anybody. 
God, for the longest think- period of time. I think you absolutely must. That's insane. Well, that that's cool, man. That, I think that gives us some really good perspective. I've never actually asked you, like, how did all this happen? I know it's, um, you know, obviously you have a gift for it, but having a gift for it and then the thing actually manifesting are two different things. So it's interesting that you had that early training and sort of mindset and the inner game part and then found your niche, like found the thing that you were passionate about that matched your talent, which is is so rare, I think, in life. I mean, I'm 45, so I guess around the same age as you. And uh, I mean, just last year, it sort of occurred to me that what I'm most passionate about and what I'm talented at could meet and intersect. And that's kind of what this podcast is, you know, the first the first um, piece of that, really. And it's, it's such a gift to be able to find that, I think, early in life when you did. I mean, in the early 90s, I was still, I think when you did your first talk for 100 people, I was like, literally just destroying myself <laughs> with drugs and alcohol and just, you know but it, it's funny though at the same time dude do you remember okay because you you know about like every supplement and every superfood fat ever dude do you remember when people were juicing bitter melon totally right <laughs> okay. i did i did it myself i was okay, like yeah. oh my god this is the most intense acrid and it was it was a ride for sure. Yeah. So that was that was the early '90s. I would stay up all night partying, and then I walk down Hollywood Boulevard and get like a juiced bitter melon with about four garlic cloves in it, and it's a great cure for a hangover. But that one did not take off. So this is going way back with you, and now I want to bring it sort of up to speed. Now, I mean, I'm assuming most people listening to this have heard of you, and if not, it's like they've never heard of health food before. <laughs> um, but when I really started to see your work, and I think you know, where I give you like some of the, the biggest credit is really building an awareness about superfoods in general, right? Not just like, oh, eat healthy, but really you were the first guy I ever heard talking about cacao. Like up until you came along, chocolate was junk food and it was bad for you and it was made by Hershey's. And now, <laughs> yeah. And now it's like, dude, you can't go anywhere near a health food store anywhere without like cacao, cacao, cacao. It's just absolutely everywhere. And then of course, all of the other, you know, herbs and goji berries and all of that stuff. And the book, of course, that you wrote on superfoods and chocolate. Um, and so in terms of like the chocolate industry, what have you seen happen there? Well, I, I, I'm going to take credit for um, getting the word changed from cocoa, which is the most, that word's an abomination, C-O-C-O-A. <laughs> right. It's literally the worst word ever. And the word is actually cacao. That's the word for the nut that all chocolate is made out of. It's the most widely eaten nut in the whole world. A hundred times more people eat cacao than eat almonds and nobody ever eats it. We all eat a processed form of cacao. Again, we saw it as cocoa butter or cocoa butter as kids or you know, you'd know, you see it on a package. You see it says a cocoa mass or whatever. That's not a mass. That's a nut butter. That's cacao ground down as a nut butter with sugar thrown in it and vanilla thrown in it and that's your chocolate bar. So actually what a chocolate bar is is really just a nut butter. Where, But because of the unique chemistry of the oils in cacao, it solidifies – above whatever it's like or below 97 degrees Fahrenheit, something like that. And then it will liquefy above that. Um, so it's very bizarre nut butter, in fact. And I just, you know, I spent my, probably my late twenties and early thirties, just completely deconstructing cacao all the way back to the basics of where does it come from? How does it grow? How is it prepared naturally? How did indigenous people use it? All of that stuff and in, in, in even ending up and culminating where I am now, which is on our cacao farm where we've been growing cacao here for 10 years, 
at least 25 varieties from all over the world and ex- doing experiments and all kinds of things to really get a handle on you know, this food that we call chocolate, the food that all chocolate is made of, which is cacao. So I am going to take credit for getting the industry to change from cocoa to cacao on packaging. You see that now. It says 83% cacao or 70% cacao that you see. Um, and I know that because I know that there were spies from Hershey who used to come to my events um, I, I met people who worked in Hershey's who would tell me they never saw a cacao bean in 25 years working there. Wow. Um, you know, just all kinds of stuff like yeah. that. So, so I mean, it's just a passion. I love to talk about chocolate. It, it's, the, it's the best ever of all time. It, it absolutely is. So would you say that that was kind of the first hook that you had, the first thing where you, you sort of, you know, rediscovered something and got the word out about it? No. Before that, I think that the first one on the list was the olive tree. And, oh. you know, I'm again, I'm like – a reincarnated ancient Greek. I'm not, not the race of Greeks that are here, here today, you know, who are all my friends. I love them, but that's a different race of people than the ancient Greeks. Um, so I have this thing about the olive tree that's genetic. And, and it, when it first hit me, I was like, I need to just deconstruct this tree and figure this thing out from the ground up, how it ripens naturally, not the processed olives, not the olives that have been brined, not the olives that have been soaked in water, not the olives that have been salted. How does a tree produce its fruit naturally for edibility? And that process and, and what that led me to is, is one of my favorite things in the world because the olive is the best food in the world for me. That's my, it's the best thing for me health-wise. And so I had to figure that out through, you know, through watching it through its cycles and seeing how it produces the fruit. Then the fruit dry, drops on the ground. Then the rains come and then gradually the tans get washed out. Then eventually a month after they fall or two months or sometimes four months or even longer, that olive ripens on, on the ground underneath that tree into a – it's like meat. It's like it has a liquor note. It has this this incredible – richness and depth and flavor. And that was the first one that I encoded in my, in my life. And then that opened the door to be able to uncode the cacao tree and really figure it out from top to bottom and realize that just because we've been doing it a certain way, just because we process olives in a certain way or process chocolate in a certain way for a hundred years or 200 years or whatever, a thousand years, doesn't mean that that's the only way and isn't the only way that that thing can produce food for us. And that there are many secrets in these fruit trees that have been undiscovered. And that's that's a passion right there for me. Okay, cool. So first, the olives, which you just reminded me, I I have like I probably bought three different amazing like you know truly tree ripened black greasy um, things of olives, and I kind of forget to eat them. And you just reminded me. I think I have three halfway full ones, which I'm going to begin eating when we get off the call. Yes. Um, and then into cacao, which is like a no brainer. That I never have like half half-eaten cacao anywhere in the house, <laughs> but the olives, yeah. So, um, but I want to I wanna get back to, you know, sort of how your career, where your career ended up today, right? And the stuff that you're up to, because your life to me is just so weird and fascinating. I want to cover that. But while we're on the topic of cacao, before I bail from that, um, I told you this was nonlinear and you're one of the few people I think that can roll with me on that. <laughs> Hopefully the listeners can agree. I, I, I'm totally with you on the nonlinear presentation of information. In yeah. fact, nobody likes to listen to linear information because it's so damn boring and it's just oh, a complete man. nightmare to listen to. I mean, that's to. why that's why public school did not hold my attention. And now, <laughs> I mean, but I watch guys like you speak or Dave Asprey or different people that I respect in the industry. And I mean, I can sit there for 10 hours and listen and I don't miss a damn word because the information is presented in a way that's from the heart and it's um, spontaneous. But anyway, back to the cacao. There's something that 
I've noticed uh, in the coffee industry, of course, thanks to you know Dave Asprey and Bulletproof Coffee and the public awareness about mycotoxins. And I never knew until I was on the Longevity Warehouse site where you sell cacao that the uh, mycotoxins are a big issue in the chocolate industry too. And as far as I, I've seen, you're one of the only guys that's actually like producing chocolate without this mold. What's the deal with the processing of chocolate that um, makes it susceptible to the mycotoxins, the mold, and, and what's the problem with those? What's the big deal? What's happening typically is on, on a big scale uh, cacao growing region, for example, let's say in the foothills of Ecuador, just outside of Guayaquil, you're going to see in that region an enormous amount of cacao being produced and, they're all, and, and all the fr- fruits are opened up and then they're all piled on top of each other to ferment because what you're trying to do is you're trying to get the fruit pulp that's around each cacao bean or each nut to break down and then you're trying to dry the nut that's underneath and that's the thing that we call chocolate or cacao. In order to get that fruit to break down, if you pile it all up on top of itself, so you get a big pile of, you know, let's say it's a pile of a meter high or even two meters high, there's a lot of a lot of fermentation that's going to occur. There's a lot of heat that's going to occur. There's going to be vinegars formed and you're going to get a, for, a fermentation that's going to help break down that fruit. But you're going to also have mold. You're going to have a runaway culture or runaway ferment. And that's just the way the chocolate industry is. Um, that's how it all always has been. They then take that, they'll then dry those beans once they've been fermented, sometimes three days, sometimes five days, sometimes nine days. So they've been sitting out there fermenting and, you know, then they're flipped over every day. And so the different aspects of the beans get, get the fermentation and the fruit completely breaks down so you can get to the nut underneath. But in that process, again, you're going to have a runaway culture and mold formation. Then you're going to dry those. And then the idea there is, oh, we're going to dry it, but then we're going to crack the little tiny paper that surrounds the cacao bean where the mold really is. We're going to get rid of that through a winnowing process when the beans are processed into cacao powder or processed into chocolate bars or whatever. But that's that's a way of getting rid of major amounts of mycotoxins. But there's because of the runaway culture aspect, even when you winnow the beans and get the skins off, it's still going to have mycotoxins present. It's just it's an unavoidable thing because not all the skins remain intact. Some of them crack and pop open. Mold can get underneath, and and it's going to come out in the final product. So we only really work with with we first of all our or Ecuador operation is completely controlled by us. So it's, we don't have any runaway cultures. It's controlled culture all the way through to the final process. And, and with sacred chocolate, we work with another operation too, that also does a complete controlled operation from top to bottom. Um, so we don't have a runaway mycotoxin process. And, and that's what you have to do now. Um, in order to have a clean product. You can't just throw it on the ground and ferment it for five days. You actually have to have a controlled process that ferments so you don't have a runaway culture. On our farm here in Hawaii, which is the third farm in the list that does this, we use champagne yeast as our control culture and we produce – like last night, Luke, oh my god. We we had fresh cacao beans and then the guys downstairs have a coffee roaster and they're like, look, we're going to quickly like do a little crisp on these beans for you guys. And then we, then we have our own honey and we we're doing just freshly kind of like parched – um, cacao beans into the honey into our mouth it was next level <laughs> it was next level and what you're in hawaii right now right i'm in hawaii now that's yeah. what island is your farm on we're on Kauai. 
Oh, cool. Okay. Awesome. I saw that you had an event coming up on the Big Island, so I wasn't sure. Wow, we also have a sister farm on the Big Island, and if people want to learn how to grow cacao or see how a cacao farm works or work on a cacao farm, we send you to our sister organization, our Noni Land that's over on the Big Island at Mile Marker 12, Hawaiian Sanctuary, right next to Pahoa Town. So if you're interested in that, you can you can contact Hawaiian Sanctuary there on Mile Marker 12 near near on the Hilo side near Pahoa Town, and they will they'll bring you in and educate educate you and, and we do a lot of stuff with them and we're doing a joint thing with them coming up for that that new year's retreat oh that's fantastic yeah my show producer tati who helped connect us uh, she actually lives by the volcano over there on the big island on the Hilo side so she'll be the one putting that in the show notes and probably going there herself awesome yeah i'm excited so um okay so cool and well, actually, the last thing is so for those people that are unaware you know what are some of the <clears throat> side effects or, um, you know, things that, that why do we want to avoid mycotoxins? What's, what's the deal? Like who cares if there's a little mold, if it's been washed off kind of thing, like what does that do to you? Okay. So for example, you know, when you think about candida or Lyme's disease or, um, different types of staph infections, it's the most toxic thing about those is their waste products. The, the mycotoxins that they that fungi leave in your system it's it's poop to for lack of a better descriptor um, the poop of these things which is the mycotoxin is really the, that's where the allergen is created where your body goes oh this is a toxic substance this is a foreign substance we need to get rid of it and and that's where the real problems are generated so we have to be aware of the mycotoxin load the bacterial toxin load the um, overall like metabolic toxin load that our bodies are dealing with daily and clean it up. And this is one of the reasons why detoxification is absolutely critical. Um, the research is in and conclusive in animal research. You know, I, I, as you know, Luke, I've, I've been studying longevity. It's, it's my main focus. It's what we do with our conferences. The number one factor in longevity is detoxification according to the animal research and there's no question about it. Activated charcoal will increase the lifespan of mice by 31%, 41%, 51%, depending on how the study is done. The best superfoods in the world, including olives, olive oil, chocolate, that kind of stuff, if you um, in animal research, like olive oil, increases the lifespan of mice by 18%. That's very common. Stem cells, 25%. Activated charcoal, 31%, 41%, 51%. So that's indicating and telling us that detoxification is actually more important than nutrition. And what are we detoxifying? We're detoxifying our own metabolic waste products and the waste products of organisms that are, our white blood cells and our immune system are fighting, including mycotoxins. Interesting. So it's basically, it's unavoidable living in, you know, our modern culture that we're going to be filled with stuff that's not good. And so we have to definitely have a strategy to get that stuff out, including mycotoxins, whether you're getting it from coffee or any kind of food that's been produced or just in your environment, right? I mean, I grew up in Northern California and it's like, oh my God, I think back to how much I used to just see mold in places that I lived and I didn't even think anything of it. It's like everything's moldy up there. It's really, it's really trippy. Um, you just made me <laughs> think about something else when you mentioned stem cells. And I'm so glad you said that word because I, I had a little list you know, of bullet points that I want to try and cover with you. And that was not on there. But when I was at the last uh, Longevity Now conference, um, Dr. Dave was talking about this clinic in 
uh, Guadalajara, Mexico, I believe. And I think you had said that you'd been there and, and had it done. And so I looked into it and it's kind of on my bucket list of, of treatments. What's the latest scoop on stem cells in a systemic application or just for injuries and things like that? What's going on in that world? Okay. So first thing about stem cells is the best stem cells for you are your own. They're the ones that are present in your blood. They're present in your fat cells. They're present in your, in your dental tissue and they're present and, the, and most abundant in your bone marrow. So out of all the different four choices of where we go to, to procure stem cells, for most people our age, you're going to procure the stem cells from the bone marrow. And then what we're going to do is we're going to take those stem cells and we're going to culture them. So instead of having 10,000, we're going to culture them up to 200 million. And let's say you have 100 million in your blood right now. Well, then your total is going to be 300 million after you have a treatment, which is equivalent to about when you were 16 years old. So that's kind of the idea of the stem cell therapies that I personally work with. What we're doing is we're restoring the stem cell count back to the way it was when you were 16 or 17 years old. And we, we get the sample of the stem cells from your bone marrow, which means we have to inject a needle into your bone marrow of your hip and then extract some stem cell material, which is, you know, you're, you're putting it under an anesthetic. It's, you know, it's pretty full on, but no different. It's definitely not worse than a dentist. That's for sure. And that's the hardest part. Once we have the sample, then from that point on, it's good. You're, you're good. We have a sample for the rest of your life. If we have a child that has, we don't have the umbilical cord tissue, then we're going to go for the dental pulp tissue. When they lose their milk teeth, that first set of teeth, and there's still some pulp there, we can culture the stem cells out of that pulp for that child and freeze those and have that for the rest of that child's life. When they're 70 years old, they'll still have the sample from when they were seven years old of their, of their original stem cells. We can culture those stem cells, put them back into that body. Body. The body recognizes it as itself and uses those stem cells in two ways that we know of precisely. And that is one, the stem cell is a governor cell, which is a surprise. What that means is, is that the stem cell comes into an inflamed area or damaged area and governs the repair of the tissue or organizes resources to repair the tissue. The second piece of the stem cell picture is probably what we've heard of, which is the stem cell actually becomes certain tissue. It can become connective tissue, for example, when it needs to become connective tissue. So that's a summary of the type of stem cell work that I do. And, the, and I work with, the, with a group of doctors in Guadalajara, the asparagosas. They're a wonderful group. And I work with Dr. Dave. And, and it's just incredible what, what that treatment did for my mom, saved my mom's life. Um, it's, I've had four treatments myself. And, and it's definitely done something amazing. Definitely saved me from dental pain. That's, that's for sure. And, uh, and I, I'm a big fan of that treatment. So when you when you've go down and get the extraction, they're taking it out of your femur, right? No, they're taking it out of your hip bone. Oh, okay. And so if, you, if you've if you had a couple treatments then, um, did you only have to do the extraction once and then they keep sort of like, um, you know, like when you make kefir, you keep some grains, you know, every time that you make it? That's so it. Yes. Is that kind of the deal? So they, yeah, they have, have like, to have it again. Okay, that's good to know. Yeah, because I'm, I'm seriously thinking about it because I've, I mean, I'm so healthy. I feel so good. I don't get sick. I have the most awesome like physical life going but I do have some persistent back pain. And, um, and I mean, I've tried like literally anything, anything and everything I've ever heard of that could possibly help any modality known to man that has been available to me or that I could afford. I've done it with the exception of this particular uh, treatment. All right. Well, that's, it's one to put on the list. It's yeah. a rising star. Yeah. We're going to be hearing more about this type of treatment. And it's going to be a major source of medical tourism. 
where people are going to go, oh, I can't get this in the U.S., but I can get it right over there in Mexico or in Cancun. And uh, and it's a game changer for that reason because it's an easy flight, a couple hours out of Miami, you're there, bam, you can be back. And what you do know, you think the what is the what's the beef with the FDA? Is it that they don't want you know rogue hack doctors messing with stem cells and creating mutants or what? You know what what what's the like? I mean, I know they just want to control everything. That's the bottom line. But <laughs> what is it speci- What is it specifically that freaks out the the medical authorities in terms of being able to do this treatment in the U.S.? Because I I've had um, PRP, which is like you know kind of the the wuss version of stem cell therapy where they they take your blood and they spin it in a centrifuge and remove the red blood cells and make essentially, you know, a more healing kind of serum that they then inject into a joint or something like that. But they're not replicating the stem cells. They're just sort of isolating them and concentrating them and putting them back in. That's my understanding of it. And yeah. FDA is like totally cool with that. What's so, What's the big deal about the method you're talking about? Well, the FDA is not cool with really any stem cell therapies. They're, they're trying to regulate it. They're trying to get the states to get out of the way. The states are, are stepping in to regulate it based under federal pressure. And it's just the same BS we've been dealing with in the United States forever, which is lobbying control by big pharma doesn't want anything that actually works because they're going to lose money. And, uh, and w- when you're dealing with chronic inflammatory conditions like arthritis – People don't really have choices except you know these strong pharmaceuticals, which usually lead to very, very strong or even dangerous side effects. And and you know in terms of the general population, people are are looking for a better solution. And this definitely is a very good solution for arthritis. Basically, solves the problem, which which big pharma doesn't like. So right. it's just going to be a financial conflict where you know we have huge corporations that control the government, and they their lobbies are very powerful. And so we have to take our treatments into environments that are politically safer, you know, for obvious reasons. Right. That totally makes sense. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm definitely on board. Um, and when you've had the treatments, have you done like a systemic injection or have you gone for specifically a target area? I've done just systemic and the way that that's done is, well, let me just take you through all the treatments. The first treatment, they're going to get a sample from you and from that sample, they're going to freeze part of it. So you always have some for the future. Some of it's going to go to the lab just for research and they're going to, you know, give you all your, your blood data and any, anything you want to know. It's a very comprehensive test. And then the, the third thing that happens with the rest of it is the first treatment, they're going to take that bone marrow juice, the rest of it that they didn't freeze or didn't take off as a, as a sample for the lab and they put it into your blood. So the first treatment is taking your bone marrow and injecting it into your blood. Essentially, that is the most powerful medical treatment I know of. And, and I'm saying it now because once you hear it said, then you know, too. And you can experiment for yourself, research it for yourself. This is one of those things that it really bothers me because this could be a life-saving procedure in any hospital immediately and and instantly if we had any leadership whatsoever in the world where if anybody comes in with a heart attack, they inject a syringe into their hip, pull out bone marrow juice, take that bone marrow juice and immediately inject it into their blood. And the anti-inflammatory effect is so pronounced and so profound that it could – conceivably stop heart attacks. I've heard and read that it can stop heart attacks. It can stop a stroke. It, it can, it immediately shuts off the inflammatory response. It had my mom out of a wheelchair and trying to literally jump up on Hulk Hogan's back and choke him. No exaggeration. That's what happened <laughs> within four hours after her first stem cell treatment. Wow. She wow. forgot that she was crippled. 
Oh my God. She forgot. She climbed up. We were at this Mexican restaurant, you know, huge, big, thick wood tables and, you know, whatever goes on at Mexican restaurants. I don't go to restaurants, as you know, but I'm there with my mom just supporting her. And we're there with Hulk and his family. And because, you know, they were doing the same treatments. And, um, and my mom climbed up on the restaurant chair and tried to literally jump on Hulk Hogan's back like a kid. And I had to jump out from behind this thick, wooden table and literally like bear hug my mom and grab her and lift her off of him and put her on the ground four hours after her first treatment. Wow. Wow. And then after those first treatments, now they have your sample. So all they're going to do is you're going to call them up and say, Hey, I'm, I'm Luke story. I'm coming down and I'll be there in five weeks. And they'll say, okay, we'll have your sample ready. And then when you show up in five, five weeks, you're going to get an IV bag containing 200 million, 300 million of your stem cells. And then it just goes in and is an IV. It's a 20 or 30 minute IV. And then you're, you're singing, you're singing and dancing after that. You're so stoked at that moment once you had, had that treatment. That's cool. Yeah, it's on. It's actually on my vision cards um, that I, you know, look at every morning and every night when I remember to. So yeah, that's definitely on the agenda. Cool. I'm glad. I'm glad that was mentioned because I I would have been bummed if we ended the um, the interview and I forgot to ask you about that. So back to your current life, and I appreciate you know sort of the background and how you got into this. I think it's fascinating. What is your your current life look like? It's like every time I hear from you, see you in the world, you're in another country, you're doing all this travel. I mean, do you actually have official roots somewhere? Do you live somewhere? Do you have a house where all your stuff is? You know, or are you just like on the road all the time? Great question. Well, first thing I want to say to everybody who's listening right now is you can design your life the way you want it to be. And the way you do that is you get a pen and paper out or you get your computer out or you get your phone out and you start typing in your goals of how you want your life to be and what you want to do with your life. And that, that's what I did over 25 years ago. I listened to the Jim Rohns, the Brian Tracy's, the Tony Robbins's of the world. They told me to, to start setting goals immediately and have thousands of goals and I did that. And I live my dreams today because of that. So I, I and it's never too late. If you're 85 years old, start setting goals. I have a good friend of mine who's 80 years old and he's still setting goals and he's still – powering through. He's an amazing guy. And, uh, and so set goals and you get goals, not always, but I've noticed over the years out of a hundred goals set, say in a given year, I'll always achieve at least 33% of them or 30 to 35%, usually right in the middle of 33%. And just appears to be a pattern, no matter what the goal is or how ridiculous it is, it'll just happen. It'll be like, my God, this stuff works. So you got to do that. And because I've been able to do that, I've been able to set my life up the way I want it to be. So I live part of the time in Hawaii and I'm a farmer. You know, when people say, what do you do? It's like, look, I'm not into gyms. I love going to yoga, but I only go to yoga to train myself for better farming or to train myself for adventures. I don't go to yoga just for yoga's sake. And I'm, you know, I'm on the farm every single day planting trees. I planted six cacao trees and a durian at midnight the other day um, under that full moon. That's what I do. That's what I'm into. I, it, I, I, this is just my little thing, Luke, and it's you know it's a particular little prejudice I have. I just feel very strange when I hear somebody like says they're nutritionist and they're talking about whatever and they don't even grow that food. It just disturbs me. It's like how could you talk about a food <laughs> you don't even grow it? You know, right? You know what I'm saying? So, right. and and I will make that promise to anyone if. Any food I've talked about, whether it's shaga mushroom or cacao or goji berries or any what you name it, I've grown it or wild crafted it. And if I haven't grown it or wild crafted it, I don't talk about it because I don't know anything about it. 
That's awesome. So you have uh, a place in Hawaii, and then where else do you typically stay? And then I've got a I've got a um, a friend's a friend has given me a room in California, so that's kind of fun. I still have an office in California as well, which I'm hardly ever there. But you know, it's like a long term lease situation. The business pays the pays the rent. There's another business there that pays the rent, so I don't have to worry about the rent. So it's good. So I have an office. And I have a, a room in California, so I, I start. That's my halfway. Then I, I've got a place near Toronto. I've been I've been here in Hawaii for ten years. I've been up there for eleven years. So you can imagine with the fruit trees and the farming and everything, we've got we got just a magical situation dialed in up there in Toronto. And um, I'm absolutely in love with that situation. We have wild wolves living in on the property, living right down. We're on the top of an old ski resort, and if you go down to the bottom. There's there, that's where all the wolves dens are. And there are actual wolves living there. And I had a close encounter with one of those wolves one time. It was the most incredible thing I maybe have ever. And I'm a wolf. My last name is wolf. I'd never actually seen a wolf in the wild ever. And one day I'm in the forest behind my house, the wolves are coming back. So they eventually got to our, where our latitude is. And when I was there 11 years ago, they weren't there, but now in the last about four years, five years, they've been there. And I was in the forest and I'm walking through an area where there's a cave. And it's a kind of a small cave, but definitely, you know, like an animal, like a porcupine can fit in there. And I, then I saw tracks going in and out and I thought, oh, it's a porcupine. And so I sneak up on it and I'm kind of peering over and boom, all of a sudden a big head comes out. And I'm like, oh my God. Oh, man. I mean, it's like six inches away from my foot, right? Like I'm on top of it. I'm right on top of its neck. And then boom, paws come out to the elbows and I was like, oh my God. And I don't know what I did at that moment, but next thing I know, that animal was out. It was a full wolf, completely wild, by itself, female. And the vibe it threw at me was, was it will be with me forever. And it's one of the greatest things. And it's one of the reasons why I recommend that your, your solace, your healing, your teaching, your gifts will come when you get time in nature. This is the one thing I really thought was missing from all the success information as a kid growing up with from the Brian Tracy's and the Tony Robbins and the Jim Rohn's. They didn't talk about nature enough and the importance of nature and as a healing tool, success tool, peace of mind, de-stressing tool, the, and, and then also an inspirational tool because what happened to me that day was will be with me for the rest of my life and it, and it, and it inspires me now. I feel it now. It threw a vibe at me that was like, oh, I'm just your friendly neighborhood dog. And the thought, this thing comes out of this hole and I thought I had is like, what's the friendly neighborhood dog doing down here in the forest? And then all of a sudden I'm like, wait, no, that's that's a wolf. It threw a friendly, happy, super playful vibe at me. And, and we were, and, and we were connected ever since. And so I sent a little psychic message. I said, you know, can you come up to the hill and take care of some of the deer that are eating my garden? <laughs> and I, I threw that message out there a year later, exactly they, uh, right on the top of the hill where we are, we're at the top of the ridge where we are, the, the wolves came and they ate a deer right there. And one, and it's in a sacred spot to a place we call the, the crystal woman. And so it actually, you know, if those things, that's what the, that's the juice of life. That's where it's at. Yeah, it is. You're so fortunate to be able to jot around and kind of have those things, um, you know, those retreats to go to. I mean, that's something I think that's so important is you're right, is the nature and then a sense of community. I know you always have like crews of people in these different places too, almost like these tribes, you know, in your various locations. And that's just, it's fantastic. And I think so too. I mean, I live in the middle of LA, as you know, and 
I have to make an effort at all times to get out of the city. Saturday, I'm going up to this event at a property in Topanga Canyon. And it's like, I mean, I'm, I can't wait to get out of the city and just to go be with the trees and, you know, even maybe some wild creatures if I'm lucky. And if not that, at least some wild people. So you're, you're traveling around. And so a couple of things you do is you do retreats and then you do your farming at your various locations. And then... Do you still um, work on developing products? I remember you were into Ormus or you were, you know, finding a new way to process medicinal mushrooms and you're always kind of like discovering some new superfood or some sort of elixir or something. Are you still doing a bit of that as well? I, I probably, that probably will never leave me. Um, I'm always doing, doing some kind of research on, there's always multiple projects going on. I'd like to ask you now, David, as you're traveling around the world and you have, you know, homes in different locations and places you crash and you're just this like vagabond. What I've always wondered with you is how do you withstand the travel? Like what are your jet lag and air travel remedies? Because I've been working on this for a long time and I travel a very small fraction uh, of time compared to your lifestyle. I mean, how do you not (laughs) get worn out with all the flying and changing time zones and whatnot? Because you've got retreats in Iceland, then back to Hawaii. It's like you're literally all over the planet. I I really like doing that run from Hawaii through to California, through to Ontario, over to Iceland, over to Europe, and then kind of working our way back. And that's kind of what I've been doing. And then every other year, every couple of years, we do we'll go all the way to Southeast Asia or Australia or New Zealand, and then and then back and forth again. And that that's what that's kind of what my my pattern's been. I've been on the road for 22 years, and I haven't been in one place for more than four weeks in over 20 years. So it gives you an idea of the level of traveling that's going on. My my hacks are this: number one, you you got to be built for it. If you're going to be a traveler, if that's part of your passion and your love, you got to have a, a constitution that that can handle it. For example, I, I sleep very easily. I can sleep in any situation, so I'm constitutionally able to like sleep in that in that uh, airline seat. Uh, you, that's a that's a nice thing to have if you travel a lot. Another thing that's important is you have a history of flying. I've been flying in airplanes since I was an embryo, so I'm totally complete. Flying from JFK to Tehran back in the day was a 23 hour experience back you know in the 70s in the early 70s when I was a baby and so those experiences doing that back and forth up until probably 1978 when the Shah got overthrown and we had to flee the country um, all of that stuff was really um, I think formative for me helped me to be adapted to airplanes so again that's I don't know if you can train yourself for that it's just something that I was born into and, and had a lot of experience as a kid. So um, I feel very comfortable on airplanes. I grew up in airplanes and, and that's number one. Number two is you, you've got to make sure that you are hydrated and that means water and salt. You can't just be hydrated on water alone, especially if you travel a lot. You can get dehydrated. You get your electrolyte balance can get thrown off and you can, you can be deficient in sodium and other salts. So I always travel with like my Icelandic flake salt because that – just get, allows me to be instantly hydrated. A little bit of that, a little bit of water, boom, I'm ready to go. And I don't need to drink as much water. That's another thing about having the right kind of salt is if you have the right kind of salt, you don't need to drink as much water because you get hydrated with less water. 
another thing that I'm very much into is the earthing or grounding. So as soon as I get out of a plane, I get connected to earth, connected to ground. If I can get a sun gaze in, I'm on it. So a sun gaze is barefoot on stone or sand or some other semi-conductive surface, not wet grass, not wet stone, dry stone, dry sand. Um, even a dry lawn is good. And then do that sun gaze at the end of the day with my palms open to the sun, do a little qigong at the same time. And boom, that, that realigns the circadian rhythms and boom, it kills the yeah, jet lag right there. That's, that's one of my favorites too. I was unaware of the dry ground though. What's behind that? In terms of sun gazing and kind of resetting your body where it is um, geographically on the planet. Recently on Instagram, I was doing a whole thing. You know, I'm a religious sun gazer. So I've been, I have a lot of experience sun gazing. And there's something to be said. If you're on a wet surface and you're barefoot, when you're, when you're sun gazing, the energy moves through you. you you're like a wire. And you don't want to be like a wire. You want to accumulate the energy like a capacitor and bleed it out slowly. That's what a capacitor does. A capacitor is a dam. It fills up with water and then they let a little bit of water through and then gain energy from that gated water going through. That's where the energy is produced. That's kind of what you're doing with sun gazing. You're absorbing the energy from the sun and then you're you're containing it, but you're letting a little bit bleed through through your feet into the earth and and in a capacitor type of way. And it's that gate that is allowing some of that energy through that where the energy is produced from the sun gazing, kind of like a dam produces energy in that same way. That totally makes sense. So in, in a sense, when the the ground is wet, you're almost too grounded, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Okay, cool. That's, that's good to know. That's very interesting. Yeah. And I got to thank you. I was thinking about this too, before we got on is I remember years ago, we went and had dinner with our friend David Solomini out at this raw spot in Santa Monica. And when we got out, you're like, oh, check it out. I grounded my car. And you had these grounding straps on the bottom of your car. And I, of course, went home, like, I think that night and found them online and uh, and put them on my car and eventually had, like, wrist straps actually installed, hardwired to the frame of my car. I just actually had this done on a new car. And so I have, like, the passenger seat and my seat have these little, um, you know, like static, they're for working on computers and stuff, these little static wristbands that are metal. And then there's a copper wire that goes to the frame and then those straps underneath go to the ground. And, you know, I mean, people think I'm crazy and everywhere it goes, someone's like, dude, you have something hanging off your car. And I'm like, I know, I know. I want to get a bumper sticker that's like, dude, I know there's something hanging in my car. Leave me alone. So I don't think people are trying to help me. I think they're like, they, you know, they have that, they're like one up on me because they know something I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I'm just projecting that. But anyway, I interviewed this guy the other day for my show um, named Emil de Toffel, who owns a company called lessemf.com. Love and that company. He, yeah, right? And he's, I mean, he's yeah, much brighter when it comes to um, scientific issues like this. And so I asked him, I didn't mention you in case he was going to throw the idea under the bus, but I said, you know, a friend of mine showed me how to ground his car and I did that. I took it to my mechanic. They tested the ground. The, the whole car is grounded. When you're touching those straps, you're grounded. And I said, am I crazy? Is there any scientific validity to this? And, um, and Emil was like, oh, you're absolutely on point. That's the best thing you could ever do to um, optimize your driving experience because especially new cars that are full of all this GPS and they're basically like, it's like driving around inside a computer tower essentially. And you're just getting absolutely cooked because I get really bad car lag. Like if I drive around a lot, I get really tripped out. It just... 
I'm sensitive to EMFs, I guess. And um, so anyway, your your theory was absolutely verified by, you know, I, I, I think some sort of a scientist. And uh, and he even said that, because I said, well, what about when you're on asphalt, your, your car is not grounded, you're not grounded. He said, well, you're still, if you're strapped in when you're driving and that metal is hitting your wrist, you're still grounded to the frame of the car, which is even better, you know, than just free floating in these crazy EMF fields. I mean, that, that is a very important point, and that is something's better than nothing. We, you're right. right. We're, we are getting bombarded every direction with all different kinds of EMF fields, Wi-Fi, radio signals. Just just the voltage coming off electrical lines is, is – you can be getting hit just sitting next to your computer. You're not even touching your computer. You can be getting hit by two volts of electricity. That's a lot. Yeah. If you touch your computer when it's plugged in, it can be 9 volts or even 12 volts or more hitting you. That's crazy. It's crazy. So being grounded is so important to protect us from all the electrical disturbances that are around us and, again, the Wi-Fi and all that. It isn't the only solution and it's not the only one that I activate, but it's one that I really like. And I definitely feel um, grounding my vehicle changed my whole life. It was like everything became energetically quiet in the vehicle. It's like you're in a Faraday cage. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. So thank you for that. People give me shit for that all the time. And I'm like, (laughs) now I finally got someone, you know, really – uh, you know, an analytical kind of guy that's not at all woo-woo at all. You know, this Emil guy, he's a serious, he's, he doesn't play around. He's very serious. And so I'm like, no, I, I talked to someone, this is totally legit. And I do that on the plane too. You know, I have a little grounding strap there that I'll use because I have, I'm always trying to hack the, uh, the air travel too. So in terms of, um, so that's some good lifestyle stuff and, and you're surviving travel and you're cruising all around. What's the latest development in, in what you're eating? You know, because I know you've gone through some some different changes from you know raw vegan and superfoods and all this stuff and if i'm not mistaken and correct me if i'm wrong i think the last time i heard you speak you had mentioned that you had begun eating some ghee and stuff like that did i have that right are you eating any animal products or are you are you vegan what's your scene like what what are you eating for just everyday food um, well, you know, cause I'm in Hawaii right now, I'm just basically eating a mango and having the best day ever. These mangoes <laughs> right now are insane. It's the mana in the food in Hawaii is incredible. It just has mana and it brings it. We see this at the farmer's markets where there's a lot of tourists there and they're eating this food like kids from Wisconsin. They never had health food in their whole life. And they see these mangoes and they're eating them. And it's like their whole life changes right there. You could, it's like a whole imprint is occurring. It's really incredible. Um, so when I'm here, I'm just eating off the land, mostly for calories, avocados and coconuts. And then we've got so much great stuff, katuk growing on the land, turmeric growing on the land, soursops. Um, what else have we been eating? Macadamia nuts. So there's just, there's so much here that's just, um, I don't even need to leave the house. Every now and then we'll go get, you know, like a smoothie or something like that just for fun to go socialize. Anyway, the, the thing that I'm really into now, though, is, is I'm really more on the wild food thing. So, for example, we were eating a lot of cooked nettles with onions and ghee and what was the other one? And lovage um, at my house up in Canada when, we, when I was there at that time of the season because that's what was there. That was what was available. And that was our dinner every night. That was so great. That was so amazing. So if I'm not eating 100% raw, it's always wild food for sure. And I will eat like goat's cheese and stuff like that That's and ghee that's maybe not 100% raw or vegan, but it's vegetarian. I'm, I'm a very much a vegetarian. I, I don't eat meat, don't eat fish, don't haven't eaten those things in over 25 years. And, um, but I'm not a vegan 
um, in, like in the old sense of the word of like, don't eat ghee or don't eat right. goat's cheese or anything like that. Right. Did you, did you find, uh, at a point, cause you were vegan where you didn't eat any ghee and stuff like that for a period, right? That's right. Did you find there was something lacking there? Because I, I personally was a vegetarian for 10 years and I, I mean, I had a really hard time. I was not healthy when I started eating. And when I say started eating meat, obviously I'm not talking about McDonald's or like any really disgusting, I mean, very well curated diet of certain meats at certain times, but my health immediately improved and just adding those good fats like ghee and some very carefully selected animal products back in. I mean, my whole like world just changed. Were you finding that there was something missing where you thought, you know what, I need to get some omega-3s or was it just like a, 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 a listening to your body or was it something intellectual that happened where you're like, you know what, I'm going to like eat some ghee now or whatever it was? It, it was, it wasn't an intellectual thing. It was just, my body told me what to do. Right. It was just came to that. It was very interesting. It was just like, I just knew that that's what I had to do. I knew that I actually needed, my cholesterol has always been too low. I've been too low for years and you know, we, we always hear, Oh, you got to get your cholesterol low, you know, lower your cholesterol. But if you do that, eventually you can lower your cholesterol too much where you're not producing enough hormones. And you know, that's the whole thing about cholesterol. It's that's your hormone resource. That's your jing. Actually, cholesterol has a lot to do with jing. I always think about cholesterol in, in relationship to jing. And I just was like, I need cholesterol. And so it was just like, I just, it was like ghee. That's it. Boom. And, and same with nuts and seeds. I'd eaten so many nuts and seeds over the years. I literally couldn't deal with it anymore. I couldn't, I could not go on. And so finally I was like, okay, let's, let's just do some other fat source for a while. And that, that's when I got into the goat's cheese. I just had to erase a little bit more space here, by the way. Oh, no, I totally, I totally understand that perspective. Did you find, because you have such a, I mean, I, I I was looking you up just to see what you're up to lately. You're up to 7 million Facebook followers. I don't know if you've checked that lately. I was like, I think that's probably more than like Kim Kardashian or something. It's like an immense amount of fans. I mean, um, and many of whom, you know, are, I think, vegan and into raw food and this kind of stuff. I mean, when you sort of just randomly threw out the idea that you ate ghee, did you get a lot of backlash from, you know, very militant vegans? I know many people in that community tend to be fairly aggressive, um, with their beliefs? Um, not really. I mean, there, there's always going to be that, that, because I don't really, I'm not really around that crowd anymore. You know, that's just actually a relatively small crowd, like kind of the fanatical crowd in whatever, whether it's fanatic vegan or fanatic paleo or fanatic, whatever. Um, I don't really hang out with those kind of people that much anymore. I, I hang out with people who are more, um, I guess like just open and just happy. <laughs> you know, a lot of these people are not happy. It was like, oh my God, they're coming at me with their whole trip of this or that. And it's just that I just got away from unhappy people and I started hanging out with happy people. And uh, it's, it's an amazingly different um, level of judgment. That's for sure. And, and also I became happier. I, I really did. I feel like I feel really, really happy with what I'm eating. Um, I'm very, very happy eating from, from the farm. You know, just that is the, that's like one of the greatest joys in the whole world to grow your own food, especially after all these years, over a decade on each of these farms. You know, when I eat a coconut off this property over here and, you know, my friend Jolti comes over here and harvests coconuts for us, you know, so he goes, he climbs up the tree and cleans the tree up and gets them down. 
and you know, I met him at Hippocrates Health Institute years and years ago, and and just the evolution of our lives together as raw foodists, and what we've learned, and how long we've been into it, and how far out of the judgment we are, and it just that was just wonderful. And just share a coconut with him after he did all that work, and and just be in heaven bliss that this coconut's been under our care, this coconut palm's been under our care for ten years, and we've been nourishing it with the, with ocean water and the best stuff ever. And here's an old friend Jolte who's cleaning it, but also been on the same journey as me. And then we're, and then, you know, this was awesome. That was an awesome day the other day when that all happened. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of us that have been into this stuff for a while are sort of getting to the point of hopefully seeing that there, there tends to be this sort of side of neurosis about what you eat and what you don't eat and all of this egoic identification about identifying myself as a paleo caveman or a save the planet vegan or what you know whatever it might be is that you know it's really i don't want to define myself necessarily by what i eat it's like i'm going to put some fuel in my body and like you said you listen to your body and your body said you know what you need some fats and you adhered to that inner wisdom and and you did that but i know myself just you know early in the game getting I mean, spending way too much money on supplements and herbs and all that, trying to, you know, live forever, whatever I was doing, but being so controlling about every bite of food that goes in my mouth and, you know, not only controlling myself, but, you know, criticizing my girlfriend or my friends and being like that guy who's actually a real bummer, who's supposed to be this healthy, happy person, but being like the controlling, really uptight kind of health nut person. And I've gone through, you know, various stages of that where... I think that, um, you know, just psychologically and emotionally, it wasn't healthy to be that rigid about something such as food in my diet. And, you know, I've largely let go of a lot of supplements and herbs and things like that and have a pretty simple kind of diet regimen just because I feel more free, you know? And I think that's when I stopped being a vegetarian. It was just like, God, I'm so freaked out about everything that I eat that it's probably like more healthy to just eat whatever <laughs> and, and not have such a rigid point of view, you know? It's, you know, that's all, that's wonderful. And thanks for saying that. And I think that, I think everybody who's listening right now will gain a lot from that because then they don't have to do the same mistakes we made. Um, but it, it's promising because it's indicating that you and I and many, many thousands or tens of thousands or even millions of people are, ha, are going through or have gone through that journey. It's a, it's a diet and food journey, but it's also a journey away from judgment. Yeah. And, and it's a journey towards happiness. And so all I'm seeing that with the Facebook group is that they're taking that journey with us. They're, and they're, they're, they're on to this concept of being happy. Um, it is amazing what's going on at, you know, with, with just the engagement of Facebook, the comment section, the comedy that's going down, the intensity of like, you know, people's belief systems and, um, also the trolling and the spam and, you know, all, it's just, it's an incredible phenomenon and it's like, it's actually in a certain way, even, you know, even when you're dealing with people who hate you, they want to kill you. It's kind of fun just dealing with the intensity of their emotion of like, God, these people really believe this stuff or they really believe, you know, whatever it is, there's, you know, whatever they're spewing out of their mouth and just their intensity of belief is interesting. It's like, <laughs> I'm trying to get out of believing in anything. I'm trying to get to a point of like, forget beliefs. Let's just entertain possibilities. But then you get this other crowd that's like, no, science has got to be right. And they're, 
there can never be a mistake here and you're a fool. And it's just like, oh my God, you're really, you believe that? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I noticed the, the internet troll thing. And actually I wanted to ask you about that too. And you just gave me the answer of like, you know, you're a very public figure. And I've noticed with you and with other people that have these huge followings and a really large voice in whatever area, whether it be food and health and wellness or whatever, but people will actually devote the time to throw up a whole web page or a website like against someone to discredit them. And it's like, I think that this internet troll thing, it's, it really is, um, it is a form of mental illness, you know? And it's, uh, it's just so strange, but it, it makes me feel kind of positive and good that you're able to contextualize that in a way where you're like, wow, this is really interesting. To me, I mean, I don't know <laughs> that I could like even look at those kind of comments and things. I remember when, actually, when you and I spoke at an event about a year ago, uh, it was posted on uh, YouTube or they sent out a newsletter or something. And everyone in the audience, when I spoke to the group, it was like a mastermind group, when I spoke... Everyone seemed to really like it. In fact, I got a standing ovation uh, on the second day that I spoke, and it was really a turning point for me because I realized, like, wow, I really have something to offer here. But it, when it was posted online, I think the audience that you know went to it was with the Neil Strauss event. His audience was not very like health food conscious, and that's kind of what I was talking about. And they were like seething comments about everything that I did and said. And I found that my my initial reaction was I wanted to correct them and you know, give them my points and like go back. And it's like, what am I even doing? This person is taking the time to listen to me. And I sort of came away with it like, wow, at least I had an impact on them enough for them to leave a comment. I would rather be hated than ignored in a way, you know? It's like, at least you're making people think you're provoking some sort of emotion or reaction. It's kind of like Howard Stern, you know, when he started to rise to fame, his producers said, I think this was in the movie that they did about him, his producers were like, oh, you know, 50% of the people just hate you and 50% of them love you. The good news is everyone tunes in, even the ones that hate you. You know, so it's like, I don't think the internet trolls realize they're actually, in a way, supporting the person that they're out there vilifying. It's a strange phenomenon. It, it's, it's, in some way, it's really the best ever. It really is, because it's like, the amount of vitriol and hate and whatever that people are just unloading on the internet that they unload on you is just, it's friggin' unbelievable. It's like, what is going on out there that people are in this much pain and that much frustration? And, and, and my personal belief is, is that the whole philosophical construct, the scientism, the, the complete lack of connection to nature, that what it's in all of that stuff and the connection to food and just all that, what it leads to is a very, very deep level of frustration, sadness, and anger. And that's a beautiful thing because it's like, well, we can, we can heal these people because we get them connected with nature. We throw them into some ice cold water. We start getting them eating natural foods. They can work through these anger issues and control issues. And, and, you know, it's basically bullying behavior that everybody has to believe what I believe kind of stuff, or my way of thinking is the only real way of thinking. And, and we can work with that, that that's actually healable. So I come out of it. I'm a lot of times I'm inspired. It's weird. Like a, a friend of mine, he sent me a, a message. He's like, dude, you're getting spammed heavy on this post. You should deal with it. So I go and check it out. And afterwards, I was like, damn, that was some good spamming. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> well, yeah, I mean, listen, coming at it with compassion, which is what I'm hearing, you're having empathy and compassion for your critics, which is which is pretty big. I mean, that's something we can all aspire to. It's like, you know, going through a breakup and instantly forgiving the person because you see that they're doing the best you, that they can, you know? So yeah, let's fix them with some superfoods and get them out into nature and into some ice water. I agree. Well, listen, when I'm freaking out, there's nothing better than getting in an ice bath. I mean, I don't have a cold stream in Hollywood, but I do have access to an ice bath at my brother's um uh, Jim and like that turns your head around real quick. <laughs> I, I, that is the best. No matter what's going on upstairs, no matter what kind of chaos is happening in your life, no matter what kind of stress you're dealing with, you get in that ice bath, you jump into that glacial meltwater, you jump into the Arctic Ocean, you are correct. You are set correct immediately, and it's in seconds. And that is such a beautiful thing. It's like it's all gone. Boom! You're just dealing with that that intensity of that moment. And it's a complete reset. Boom. You are completely renewed and reset. It's, it's, it's the best. Absolutely. So as we wrap up the, um, the interview here, David, I want to ask you, you know, you, there's something that you, you say a lot and you'll say like, it's the best of times and it's the worst of times. Like we're in the best time ever. There's such an awakening going on, but at the same time, it's just getting darker and darker. And, and this is the way that I perceive things all the time too. So in terms of, you know, the health and wellness industry, what are some of the, the big positive breakthroughs that you're see, seeing going on right now? I mean, to me, this whole scene of like healthy living is just, it's trendy, which is amazing, you know? And so you have to kind of filter out the real from the unreal when anything gets popular and people realize they can monetize it. There's a, you know, a certain um, delusion, I guess, that goes on. But what are you seeing as like big positive steps in terms of health and wellness right now? I think the Nutribullet has been an enormous powerhouse for good, in, especially in America, but all over the world, because it's really getting people to have their five fruits and vegetables a day. They're able to do it. They add it to their lifestyle. It's affected the lives of millions of people. And so I see that as a very big positive. I was just over at Nutribullet headquarters and we're having the best time ever. It's an unbelievable family run operation. And it's literally, I go over there and we're laughing, dancing. Just It's, it's just incredible. So you know, that's a real good positive in the world. There's a lot, a lot more interest in the stuff that we like. Cold, wild nature, raw foods, superfoods, wild herbs, wild mushrooms. People are just turning that way because they realize that there might be some salvation there for them. And it's happening on a grand scale, millions of people. And that is just awesome. I mean, it's like you talk about your dreams coming true. I, I When I started out, I thought there's nobody. I mean, they're not a single person. I remember one time getting this raw foodist on the phone who ate wild food. And I was like, dude, you're into wild food too? And he's like, yeah. And, and just connecting with somebody else who was into that. It was like amazing. Now we got millions. Now it's like a whole thing. So I'm like, I'm stoked. I don't, I don't know. I think it's just, it's going our way in a lot of ways. I also see the other side, the political stuff, you know, the, the complete encroachment of our freedoms, the cops out of control, the fake news media events, you know, all, all that stuff, the fake cosmology, you know, the fake NASA images and whatever. And, uh, <laughs> I just go, you know, I don't know what that is, but man, is it entertaining, man, that, especially the NASA stuff, you know, this thing of the moon going in front of the earth. Did you see that complete CGI joke? No, no, I didn't. Oh, I'm going to have to man, look it I gotta up. I got to send you, I got to, we made a video out of it. It's the funniest thing of all time. And they're trying to pass that off and pawn it off as real. In fact, the Washington Post had to pick it up and go, no, 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 even though it looks fake, it actually is real. 
Wow. It's that bad. It's like, so I see that side of it, which is to me, it's, it's not so much bad news. It's like, it's hilarious. It's like cosmic giggle stuff. Well, you know, it's interesting because I think we are starting to see some cracks in the matrix. I mean, they're, you know, the mainstream media, I think, is becoming more discredited. And a lot of the underground media, which people used to consider totally conspiracy theory craziness, a lot of that is starting to bleed through. And you have average people that are listening to someone like David Icke or Alec Jones, who, who, who they would have thought were a total lunatic. But when you're looking at the lunacy in mainstream media, sometimes those people actually really start to make sense. And, and I think that there, there is, thank God for the internet and that it hasn't been somehow shut down or censored, you know, and there's still, there's still, um, you know, bits of information leaking through and not all of it's true. There's some things out there that are, you know, I'm sure the mainstream media is telling us the truth about, but it's pretty exciting to see it kind of come unraveled. And unfortunately there is a certain degree of violence and, and negativity and darkness inherent to the system. But I think what, to me, what we're seeing is we're seeing the very beginning of the fall of this whole system that we've all been led to believe in. And, um, and this industry and, you know, just the kind of spiritual industry, for lack of a better term, are kind of the forerunners of that. And people like you that are getting out information to the masses, you're getting the Nutribullet in the hands of people that, you know, are probably last year were like 100% GMO diet. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, it's, it's like, I, I'm telling you, I, I know, because, you know, I'm talking to these people, they, I'm seeing their yeah. emails. It's incorrect. The pe- people stop me on the street all, all the time who don't know me from raw food circles, who don't know me from the organic food circle, they know me from Nutribullet. And they're, and they're like, you know, people who had never eaten healthy anything, never eaten vegetables ever, suddenly for two years straight have been doing literally a Nutriblast of five fruits and vegetables every single day consistently, completely transform their whole life. Because that will, by the way, transform your whole life. If you get five fruits and vegetables, especially organic, into your body every day and you do it consistently, your life will change. Yeah. There's something you said years ago too, that I always relate to people. And that is the law of displacement where it's like, you don't have to quit doing all the bad stuff that you're doing. You just have to incrementally add in positive habits and positive pieces in your diet. And then eventually what happens is you start to displace all the things that are harmful. And that's, I mean, that's something that I've worked with clients and so many friends. I'm, I'm like, here, just add this one thing. Just say ghee, for example. Just start slathering this stuff on everything you eat. And the next thing you know, they're not craving um, sugar. They're not craving empty carbs. They're not eating gluten because they're so satiated from the healthy fats. You know, it's like... There, there really is a way to do this and spread the message to people throughout the world that you don't have to throw out everything that's tasty at once. You just start adding good stuff in. And next thing you know, like throwing a tablespoon of spirulina in your smoothie doesn't gross you out. <laughs> you know, there's like, there's a certain threshold that you pass and you're kind of like, you wouldn't want to eat crappy food anymore, you know? It, that, well said. Well said. It so becomes, it's, uh, it's natural and it's easy. It's actually all this stuff really. It's just, you know, how do you heal yourself? Jump into cold water, open yourself up to the elements, start breathing, eat the right things. That's all natural. It's like if, if people fall into it. I think what's happened is, is we had a crisis of leadership. The internet changed that. It allowed the information to get out. People could hear the information. I think Nutribullet helped a lot. I think there's been a huge amount of help overall with awareness about the importance of food and diet, you know, even in mainstream media. And, 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 the, and it's caught on. And it's working and, and we are changing the health of the world. Now, of course, there's still an obesity epidemic, but it's a bifurcation. This group that wants to be healthy and happy is just going completely to the healthiest and happiest ever. And the group that wants to be sick, they're going to the sickest ever. And and that's where and I bet you and my guess is 
that that's the future. It's going to be more extremes like that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so as we come to the end of the show, I got one last question for you, and it's a three-part question. So you've been traveling around the world for 30 years now teaching people, and you've mentioned a couple other teachers that you've followed. Can you name three teachers, philosophies, books, whatever, that, that you've gone to that have been most influential in your life that we can look up? Absolutely. I think number number one, and I think that the, per, the, the number one thought leader of our time is Rudolf Steiner. And in order to understand Rudolf Steiner, you're going to have to unlearn everything you learned. It took me 10 years to unlearn everything I'd ever learned in order to understand any of Rudolf Steiner and understand the perspective where he's coming from and then to internalize it in a way of like, how would Rudolf Steiner approach this? You know, to get to the point of like, trying to figure out what his answer to the questions would be. So to me, Rudolf Steiner is a seminal figure in the evolution of consciousness. Another seminal figure and absolutely critical, I think, to both you and I and inspired me all those years ago to become a spring water hunter is Victor Schauberger and the implosion mechanisms and the idea of implosion versus explosion as a source of power and a source of organization um, of the vortex as the central organizing principle of creation. That's Victor Schauberger and his research. The best book on that is probably Callum Coates' Living Energies, although other books have been written about Schauberger. That's a favorite for me, Living Energies by Callum Coates, C-A-L-L-U-M. Last name is Coates, C-O-A-T-S. By the way, um, Rudolf Steiner's entire library of materials all available online for free. So if you want any of his books or any of his information, it's all online for free. You can search that out on the internet. With Schauberger, you could probably find it all for free on the internet, but I definitely would recommend the Living Energies book. Third one I want to mention, and absolutely like Rudolf Steiner, so ahead of his time and just so beyond anything, is Charles Fort. The teachings of Charles Fort, the book of the damned, low, wild talents, new lands. These are, these are incredible works of literature, the greatest philosophy ever, ever fashioned by a human being. Is the, is the, in my opinion, is the research of Charles Fort. And what that is, what his research indicates is that whatever you posit, whatever you believe is true, there will always be evidence that shows you that's not, no way true. So instead of looking at the at both sides and going, oh, okay, there's, there's this evidence and that evidence and going, it's a statistic, instead of that, we get belief systems we get scientism, which is, no, 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 it's always this. Any evidence that doesn't fit this, we exclude it. We get rid of it. We can't look at it. Almost all human organizations are trying to get to the whole or trying to get to God or trying to get to the truth via exclusion, by exclusion data. And that's Charles Fort's fundamental premise and an absolutely in a stunning way does he deliver it. And, and so I really highly recommend the works of Charles Fort, all available for free online. You can down, I have it all downloaded on my Kindle, all his books for free online. Just get it all of that. So you know, seminal work on, on all those levels. Now, these are three men and with a male perspective, women, in my opinion, are so much more advanced than men are. Like when I look at spam, for example, it's always a guy. Yeah, totally. It's 95% of the time it's a guy. It's like totally. a guy with his ego and jealousy and whatever weird stuff is going on or belief systems or scientism or fundamentalism of whatever sort. It's like, oh, it's it's a guy. Women are just way more open, way more 
connected to source or whatever. I, maybe it's because of the, the giving birth cycle. Hormones of women are maybe more well, well-rounded for better, you know, better thought. For example, progesterone is very important for multitasking. And, um, you know, women just, all they need to do is just follow their instincts and intuition, but men need, need things like Schauberger, Steiner and, and uh, Charles Fort to break apart the prisons that they're putting themselves in. Wow. That's well put. And what three heavy duty recommendations too. That's awesome. And we're definitely going to put the, the most relevant links in the show notes for this too. Those are really great recommendations. So in closing, I know you're up to a lot of stuff. What are your next retreats or events? Where can people find what you're doing website wise and places and dates wise? Awesome. Thank you for that. DavidWolf.com, D-A-V-I-D-W-O-L-F-E.com. That's my main site. Um, if you go all the way to the events button, all my events are there. Going to come up onto a Western Canada tour here in the next week. We're going to start in Victoria, um, Vancouver Island, then Vancouver, then up into the mountains. Um, we're going to be at Shambhala Music Festival doing an event there, and then Calgary and Edmonton, then over to Toronto, and I'll, I'm going to be probably doing an event in Toronto on September 24th, 2016. Again, all that stuff's on, on that website. Um, if you want to track some of our bigger adventure retreats, davidwolfadventures.com, and that's where we do the, the Hawaii retreat that we had talked about. That's also where we do the Iceland adventures and Peruvian adventures and some of the other things we do. What goes on on those adventures? I'm curious. I've always wanted to come join on one. And again, like the stem cell treatment, it's my bucket list. So if I'm going to the big island of Hawaii for New Year's to hang out with you and your crew, what, what kind of stuff happens there? Okay. It's, well, we're always going to push the envelope. We're going to be swimming in the ocean. We're going to be eating wild food and wild coconuts. We're going to be foraging cacao beans and noni. We're going to be out on the lava fields. So we're going to be out there probably at four in the morning. And if you, if you want to do that, you don't have to, but we give that option. Um, we'll be out there at four in the morning and by the time the sun rises or that we can see the light of day, we'll be right there where the, where the lava's flowing into the sea. It's just an extraordinary place. One of the most incredible things that we can get to, you know, this is one of the greatest lava fields in the world. Um, so we're, we're it, when we do, um, Iceland, for example, it's pure adventure. It's a, it, even if you're not geared up for it constitutionally or you're not fit, it's okay. We'll guide you and sometimes we'll carry your packs or, you know, we, we'll, we'll get you through it. And we do that not only in Iceland, but also in Peru, you know, so we take people who may not, we, you know, try to get people to be fit and, and healthy before they get there. But even if they're not, we can, we usually are very successful at pushing them along and helping them to get to the next level. So it's, it's an adventure retreat, but ultimately the retreats that I do are about overcoming internal barriers. That's the main thing. Awesome, man. Yeah, they look fantastic. And I'd like to encourage everyone not only to visit your various websites, but to follow you on Instagram. You're one of my favorite follows. I'm sure you see me. I'm always liking your pictures and commenting because that's why I just love your lifestyle. It's like the dream lifestyle for a guy like me where you're always like foraging wild foods and going on these adventures, these amazing places. I mean, it really is um, beautiful to see what you've been able to manifest for yourself and not only for yourself, but to share that with so many people through these retreats and stuff. So I just really support that and encourage everyone to go check out what you're doing. 
Right on. Thank you so much. Um, if right. you, to find me, by the way, on social media, usually it's David Avocado Wolf. Oh, that's right. Thank you for mentioning yeah. that. That's right. On That is your Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, man, listen, it's been great to catch up with you and I've been wanting to get you on the show for a while. So I really appreciate you taking the time. I know sitting on a computer in Hawaii is probably not the number one thing to do <laughs> <laughs> right now. So I just want to thank you and, you know, and for all your work, man, I've learned so much. I've been so inspired for you, uh, by you over the years. So Thank you, bless you, and you be well, David. Thank you so much. That was beautiful. And and to everybody listening, have the best day ever. Thanks so much for being a light in the world. And it's important to stay positive because we are changing the earth. Now is the time in the show, folks, that we have to take this gift and put a bow around it. I'd like to thank you on behalf of myself and our guest, David Wolf for joining us on another enlightening episode of the Lifestylist Podcast. I'd love to invite you to join us next week for episode 23 with the infamous Rich Roll. In the meantime, you can enter my contest again by going to lukestory.com forward slash winner and entering your name and email. That's all you have to do. Super simple. I'm going to do the rest. Only catch is you've only got until Monday, September 19th to do that. When you enter, again, you have a chance to win a one-hour lifestyle design session with me, either in person in LA or over Skype remotely. But as a bonus, prize number two, you get a one-month supply starter kit of my special Bulletproof Coffee recipe, which is like 140 bucks worth of stuff. So get over to lukestory.com forward slash winner and enter your name and email. In closing, I'd like to make a special request. If you're a fan of the show and you'd like to support what I'm doing here and continue to help me to put out this great content and book bigger and better guests all the time, it'd be wonderful if you could go to my site and make a small donation. Even a dollar can help. If 200 people put in a dollar a month, the actual cost of this show could be covered. It takes a village to put this thing on and any little thing you can do to support us would be great. So go to lukestory.com forward slash support. You have three different options of ways that you can help donate and make a pledge toward the continuing quality and consistency of this show. You can't see me now, but I'm putting my hands together and giving you a namaste. Thank you so much. You'll hear from me again with our guest Rich Roll next Tuesday for episode 23. May the force be with you. Don't forget, you guys, to go to my Facebook page at Mr. Luke Story and RSVP for the Bulletproof Conference pre-party with Zestology on Thursday, September 23rd at 7 p.m. So go to the Facebook page and RSVP. It's going to fill up. You get to come down and watch a live podcast and party with all of us Bulletproofers. All right, see you then. Bye.